0: Support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer Market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Additional support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Black Cod is the best fish in the world. You might know it as sablefish. You might have heard it called butterfish, too, although there's another fish, escalar, that is sometimes called that, that can have interesting effects on your digestive system, let's say. So be sure of what you're eating. What we're eating today is black cod. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood and it's time to check the pantry. Black cod is expensive. There's no getting around this fact. Why is it so expensive? In part, it's expensive because it's really, really good and people will pay good money for it. But it's also expensive because look, here's what you have to do to catch it. First you need a boat, usually a longliner, although there is an increasing use of pots for reasons we'll explain later. Then you need the quota. Then you buy yourself a huge quantity of your favorite bait and put that bait on hooks on your longline, spaced about 32 inches or so apart. That's a whole lot of baiting, like days worth of baiting. And when you're fishing, if you aren't doing anything else, you're baiting. You drive your boat offshore like 80 miles offshore or out towards the far end of the Aleutian chain. Far enough offshore that if the weather kicks up, there's nowhere to hide. So you're probably going to get hammered by the wind at least once. You can still bait hooks, though. You set your gear. Black cod live deep, like 150 to 400 fathoms deep. Multiply those numbers by six to get the number of feet. That's deep. It takes a long time for the anchor to hit bottom on the first end of the long line. During that time, you bait hooks. You haul your gear. It takes a long time for the anchor to come off the bottom back to the boat. During that time, you bait hooks. Sometimes your engine noise attracts whales. Killer whales, sometimes sperm whales. They swim over to investigate and discover a string with a bunch of fish attached to it, like one of those sushi places where the sushi is on little boats in a trough of moving water and you pick the ones you want off the boats. The fun thing about whales is that not only do they eat the fish you were hoping to catch, they also frequently straighten the hook out. So you not only get to rebate all the hooks, you also get to replace a lot of them. There's a hook every 32 inches. A set can be a mile or a mile and a half long. It's a lot of hooks. Sometimes the whales pick up on the engine noise of a particular boat and follow it around wherever it goes. Whales are why pot fishing for black cod was invented. Whales can't eat fish inside pots. Also, you don't have to bait hooks. Let's say you weren't discovered by whales. You have to pull all the fish on board, cut their heads off, pull their guts out, put them into the fish hold, fill their bellies with ice, and pack them in more ice. Then if you have more room in the hold, you bait more hooks. If you're full, you go back to town, which might be several days away, and it's not a bad idea to bait hooks for the next trip on the way back. That's why black cod is expensive. Well, I'm always pretty pleased when I've got a couple of sides of smoked black cod that I just pulled out of the smoker, and I've also got some more fresh unsmoked black cod that we're going to do something with as well. It's absolutely not a problem for me to make this much a black cod stuff because i love it and friends of mine love it and i know this will absolutely not be wasted bunch of farmer's cheese ready to salt i need to salt it so i made this i started this yesterday you can actually make it the same day i just think it's a little better if you let it sit overnight just get a little nicer texture i think i made this yesterday with a gallon of whole milk And a pint of buttermilk mix those together let that sit for about an hour and then I added some rennet animal rennet well which I have kicking around because of the cheese curd episode and then after the rennet set takes about an hour then I put it into a filter bag with a a real small mesh and let it drain hanging over a, a container every now and then I gave it a little massage now, I have just taken it out after it's sat in its filter bag, in a container, in the refrigerator overnight. I've just added some salt, and I'm basically going to add salt to taste. And I'm just mashing it together with the salt a little bit, just to homogenize the curds a little. It doesn't need a lot. It's quite thick, nice and creamy, but it's still got a little texture. There's a little curd kind of texture. It's not, it's not completely smooth. I really like this as an everyday cheese. Oh right, yeah, there we go. That's the right amount of salt. It's not super rich it's not like fatty or anything but it's very satisfying a little bit of this on toast or something with some jam it's good for breakfast it's also good for dessert set that aside so into a bowl i have cut up some mint and some dill and a pickle that i pickled last year that is now extremely pickled and also a little piece of pickled garlic that was in the pickle jar today i'm you going to use some garlic scapes which are just coming in right now and which are very delicious and which unless you grow or know someone who grows hardneck garlic you may not even have ever heard of. Um, I certainly wasn't that familiar with I'd heard of them, but I never really used them that much until I talked to Lori at Synergy Gardens and she explained to me the magic of them. And now that I grow my own garlic, I frequently have them this time of year because they are just hitting their peak. And for those of you who aren't aware, the scape is essentially the flower stem of garlic. If you let it go, it'll make a flower. And they typically, have this really cute little curly pigtail in it. And I'm just chopping them into rounds. And I'm going to saute them in a little bit of butter. They have they have a milder garlicky flavor. And they are good. They are pretty good raw actually. Maybe you know maybe I'll maybe I'll saute half of them and use the other half. Raw. Because they do have kind of a mysterious flavor. It's not really like garlic. It's not like an onion either. It's but it's, it's evocative of both. If you don't have these, you can definitely sub in green onions. It's not going to be the same, but it'll be at least in the ballpark. Actually, you know, what really would be kind of good would be very finely sliced raw leeks. If you salt those for a little bit, maybe dress them with a little lemon juice or something before you add them to this dip, that would be pretty delicious too. But... I have scapes, so I don't need to do that. I add a generous amount of butter here because this is a pretty dairy-heavy dish, so some butter is definitely appropriate. The foam has begun to subside, adding my scapes. They don't need long in the saute pan, chopping up the the ones that'll be raw here, so we'll get two nice sort of garlic scape. One will be like kind of the slightly sweetened, a little bit more familiar sautéed version. And the other will be raw. They're tough to describe actually. They're a little challenging. They're like evocative of every member of the, the onion family all at once. But they don't have any of the sharpness. You know, there's just like kind of this intense sort of green savoriness and they're kind of bright and they linger, too. They really do linger on the tongue. I just ate one several minutes ago and it's still hanging out. It's like, hello, you just had an allium. Just finished the saute, so let's drop those in. Toss everything around a little, I guess. If we're making smoked black cod dip, we ought to have some smoked black cod. Pick it and get the bones out. Peel off the skin cuz we just want the flaky, oily, delicious black cod. Now you can make this with smoked salmon too, but I really feel like like you really want to use black cod for this. Just cuz black cod's awesome. And we shouldn't treat our smoked fish as interchangeable even though they can be. But with salmon, you know, there's not another like really strong flavor in here. I mean the garlic, the garlic scapes aren't like overpowering. With salmon, I think it's kind of nicer to have something to stand up to it. Black cod, even though it's pretty assertive and it's oily and it's rich, it doesn't have that kind of like grab-you distinctiveness that smoked salmon has. I think it really works with with really sort of lighter, herbier, more delicate flavors. Like salmon, if I was going to make this and I was thinking I wanted to do something with salmon, I might lean more towards, say, olives or capers and a lot of them. Something that's really, really going to stand up against the uh, intensity of salmon. Look each other in the face and go, I'm not intimidated by you. You're not going to dominate. Bones out, flakes in. I'm going to use all of my smoked black cod in these two dishes. I'm going to keep one chunk of filet just, just to enjoy naked, not me, the fish. Now we'll start the process of finishing this dish. So I am going to add as i always seem to do a little bit of cayenne pepper i don't know how much of this farmer's cheese it's going to take because i want it to be pretty cheesy but i also want it to have i want it to be black coddy i want it to feel like it's a black cod dip and not a cheese dip you know so i'm just going to start with a nice big chunk of farmer's cheese and start working it in here until i'm at the consistency that i want i also need to break down some of these flakes a little more So I can be kind of aggro here and kind of smoosh them down. Because I want the black cod and I want the scapes to be really distributed throughout the whole thing. I just want enough farmer's cheese to help with the texture and to, you know, make it an actual dip. Right now it would be really good for like a stuffing. Man, if I could stuff this into like a whole rockfish and roast it, oh, that'd be delicious, wouldn't it? I've just given myself an idea. This is where ideas come from. They come from thinking about stuff while you do it we're not at dip texture yet. So we need to loosen this up a little bit. We need a little more cheese. But before I add the cheese, I do have something that I like to put into dips with a lot of uh, kind of thick cheese, because it just helps to smooth them out a little bit. And because it's pretty acidic, it brings a little more acidity and a brightness. So I'm just adding maybe half three-quarters of a cup of yogurt and that'll just sort of lighten the texture a little bit and lighten the flavor because of the acid in the yogurt even though this cheese is pretty tangy and acidic on its own this will really do a lot to kind of brighten things up oh wow oh yeah that just makes it smell better and it's looser now still not the full dip texture that I want although the the addition of the yogurt has taken me out of uh, stuffing texture And now it's like spread texture. We haven't hit dip yet. And dip's what I'm after. So I'm going to give it a couple of nice scoops of cheese and keep working it. And I don't like making stuff like this with the aid of the food processor or the kitchen aid or anything like that. Because it does, it gets, it, it breaks it down too much. You know, like I want this to to have a little bit of like some chunky texture to it. I don't want it to be smooth. And I think you could take just a little more cheese. It's a little bit stiff still. Oh, that's really nice. We do need to taste it. So let's see where we're at here. Mm. Okay, I'm just going to end the show right here. Go off in the corner with a with a spoon. And uh, wow, oh that's delicious. Does it need anything else? I think it needs a pinch of salt just a pinch. One pinch only, please. Does it need anything else? I feel like it does. What does it need? What does it need? You know what it needs? This is what it needs. That is a tablespoon, tablespoon and a half of mustard. That's what it needs. A little bit more acidity, a little bit more brightness but also a little bit of that very special mustard heat. Mmm. Oh, yeah. That did it. So I'm gonna let that sit and blend for a few hours. Pretty soon it'll be ready. time to make the gnocchi frito and just eat this stuff. So smoked black cod and garlic scape dip. Mmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got a great mouthfeel. A lot going on across the tongue. Delicious. Awesome. Nioca Frito's next. Um, There's a really awesome wine bar in Montreal called Le Vin Papillon. They were the first place I encountered something like this dish, which I am now adapting to my own ends. They do, it's uh, called Squid Ink Nioca Frito with a smoked sturgeon dip. And it is amazing. And so I'm going to be making no squid ink, if I was really on the ball, I'd go get some octopus ink and uh, add that so I'd have some black frito. But it's going to be regular, plain old frito, which is plenty awesome in itself, with a uh, smoked black cod dip. So frito made its first appearance on Check the Pantry on the Vermouth episode. If you recall that, I described it as basically a savory donut. Um, it's a yeast-raised, puffy dumpling, basically. It's made out of uh, flour, water salt, yeast, and a little bit of lard, and then we fry it in lard. So you can do this in reg- with regular vegetable oil and fry it in vegetable oil, but traditionally it is fried in lard, and lard is awesome. So we're gonna do it the traditional way. It is profoundly delicious, and it is essentially a savory donut. I am not making this up. So I'm going to start out with 175 grams of flour, plain old bread flour. I'm gonna add I'm going to add one quarter teaspoon yeast. I'm going to add half a teaspoon salt. i going to stir that together just a little bit. 80 grams of water. I'm going to add 25 grams of beautiful lard from a local pig. And this will go into my mixer. I could, of course, knead this by hand. doesn't require a lot. And it's not going to feel like a bread dough. It's not going to have the same kind of springiness to it. It's going to be together, but it's not going to be it's not going to feel like it, it has as much gluten development. It's not going to be as strong as bread dough which is okay, because this is more like a yeast raised pie dough almost. It's gonna feel a little different than bread. Oh man, it smells all lardy and savory and delicious. So that is the first stage. That has to sit basically an hour and a half until doubled. It only gets one rise. We don't have to get complicated here. It's very simple to make. I just have to sit and wait for a little bit because that's the only job for this dish now. All right, let's get right to making a coubillon. Just put two tablespoons of lard. (laughs) A lot of lard in this episode, but I got a lot of lard. I got like a gallon of lard. There's a lot you can do with a gallon of lard, though. And I'm heating this two tablespoons of lard over a pretty high flame, because I'm going to make a roux with it. Couillon in its original French incarnation, is simply a flavored liquid usually made out of uh, either through vinegar or wine and mixed with water and a bunch of herbs and other flavorings. And it's used to poach fish and it's very light and it's typically very kind of delicate and pretty subtle. And they're a really good way to particularly to cook like really delicate fish. A Louisiana Cubillon is not delicate and it is not subtle. It is a pretty in-your-face, pretty big, but it is still basically the same idea. It is a, it's a poaching liquid that's flavored. <laughs> and you poach the fish directly in the poaching liquid. The difference is that the liquid itself is a lot more important. Let's go ahead and get started here. That's sizzling as I just added the flour. And so I'm gonna grab my whisk. I always start with the whisk to break up the clumps of flour. And then I switch to the wooden spoon because it it generally is a little easier to maneuver and you can more easily get the corners. Now I'm just gonna stir like crazy until it turns the color that I want. I've already cut up my onions. They are ready to be added as soon as my roux hits a nice dark brown. So, couillon is if you've never cooked any sort of like Cajun food that involves a roux before, or Creole food that involves a roux before, it's actually a really good starter because you don't have to make much and the dish isn't dependent on it the way that something like a gumbo is. Like a gumbo is about the roux. If the roux is no good, or if the roux is too light, then the gumbo is not going to be as good as it could be. But with the Kubian, there's so much else eventually going to be going on. And the roux is a very, very small part of the whole process that it's okay if, it, if you cut it off a little bit light, if you get a little scared. And it's also not the end of the world if you, if you burn it because there's not that much of it. You know? You're not really wasting that much oil. You're not wasting that much flour. There's not a huge pot of <laughs> super hot roux to deal with. And because it's a pretty small amount, it cooks pretty fast. It makes it really worthwhile testing it out and trying it out over the high heat method, which is what I do, which is not the way I learned it. The way I learned it, of course, was it takes about an hour to make a roux. And now with the hot roux method, pan method, it takes me about 10 minutes. You run the serious risk of burning it if you don't know what you're doing. So it's a good one. It's a good way to practice it's a small amount it happens pretty quick it's easy to deal with and you can stop it early if you get nervous so i'm kind of at wet sand right now i want to be ideally i'll get to milk chocolate but I will almost always, if I get a little nervous on these poubellons, a lot of times I'll pull it, a li- I'll stop it a little bit early. You just lose a, sort of a hint of that sort of bitterness that you get when you really darken the flour. that's really so delicious and I love it. But with, with small amounts too like this, sometimes it' it won't distribute itself evenly over the top of, over the bottom of a large pan. so you can pretty easily get hot spots, which is another reason that I sometimes pull it early. So i got some milk chocolate starting to happen. Add my onions, turn off the heat, pull it off the burner, add a little salt. Mm, Mmm, I love that smell. And so I'm going to let these onions just cook just a little bit off of the heat, and then I'll turn the heat back on. And everything else here is going to be pretty easy. We're not going to have to talk too much about what we're doing because the hardest part of this is making a roux. So once my pan cools down quite a bit as the onions start to release their juices into it, now I can turn my heat back on, on lower, go kind of medium, medium-low even. This dish today I am making with black cod. Now the two classic in South Louisiana that couillon gets made with is, typically it'll be one of either redfish, red snapper, or catfish. Those are kind of the two main couillons out there. And as it happens, rockfish is already a really good substitute for um red snapper in a lot of recipes rockfish ver- works very well in this however black cod in this dish is absolutely sublime this is one of my favorite dishes ever i genuinely love this stuff and i don't eat it near enough because i don't eat near enough black cod because it is pretty expensive and but black cod and catfish actually have a lot of similarities so i'm just adding my celery And my bell peppers, my green bell peppers, to my couvillon, the other two parts of the Trinity in a two parts onion to one and a half parts bell pepper to one part celery ratio, roughly. And a pinch of salt. So black cod and catfish, I mean, well, first of all, they both live on the bottom. They actually have a pretty similar texture. They have that kind of oiliness. They're a little bit delicate, almost, but still robust. It's kind of difficult to describe, you know, it's like the flakes themselves are are really delicate, but they hold together really well. And they've got that oiliness and they each have a really distinctive flavor. Like you don't really mistake either one of them for, for anything else. There's almost like a nuttiness to both of them. And a sort of deep savoriness that from the black cod anyway com, you know comes from it's got a lot of oil <laughs> it's one of the easiest fishes to cook because it's really hard to overcook it because there is so much oil um it's basically like a pig that lives on the, <laughs> the bottom of the ocean and it's pretty much as delicious as that too and i have i've tried this with other uh other dishes as well like pan fried black cod awesome pretty much if you find a, a recipe that works really well with catfish I can almost guarantee you work really well with black cod. We don't really associate it with this style of sort of very rustic cooking because black cod is like, we all kind of associate it with high-end meals, you know? It's not it's not a staple for anybody because it's, you know, mostly caught really, really deep. So it, it doesn't have nearly the same like cultural importance to pretty much anybody that, that uh, you know, something like salmon, which everybody for 10,000 years who's lived in the Pacific Northwest has eaten salmon. You know, and halibut is also found really close to shore, but black cod, you're not gonna spend a lot of time going 80 miles offshore to catch large quantities of black cod. So they really weren't developed as a fish that anybody wanted until pretty, you know, recently in in the 20th century when the Japanese developed a real taste for them. They've slowly sort of escaped Japanese only notice but they're still kind of like associated with being a high-end restaurant fish, you know, as opposed to something that you necessarily cook at home. And I really think that, I think we should cook them more at home because black cod is awesome. I love this stuff. And it's easy to cook and it's delicious. And it's really, really hard to screw up. I am going to dump in some garlic. This will be the last of my aromatics that I need to add. I'm just gonna let that garlic sweat for just a little bit few shots of Tabasco, maybe nine or 10 drops, and the equivalent on fish sauce, which of course I learned with Worcestershire, and I love Worcestershire and frequently use it, but fish sauce is also excellent in all instances in which you would use Worcestershire. The difference is that Worcestershire has a bunch of other stuff going on. It's got like, it's a little bit sweet. It's got some vinegar in it. So there's a, a sourness to go with the funk. And there's some, I forget what all I put in it. Coriander, I think it has. Worcestershire sauce, you know, is like fish sauce with other stuff. So you do get a little bit different flavor profile. With the fish sauce, you just it's just distinct fish sauce funk. That's what we're getting. That's what I'm looking for today. I'm kind of feeling that. It works really well with black cod because it's so rich and so oily. So it's nice to contrast that with a little bit of this like just intense like stinkiness. Alright, and I'm going to add a little bit of white wine, pretty much, it doesn't matter that much what you use, although in general in cooking, as I always say, I stay away from like oaky Napa Chardonnay or New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc because they just have very distinctive flavor profiles and when you reduce them, those flavor profiles can be really intense and they can sometimes uh, clash. This is also a good dish you know, to use with, to put beer in. Cooking with beer is actually much more challenging than cooking with wine, I think, because of the presence of the hops. Usually, if I'm cooking with beer, I'm just gonna cook with a lager that doesn't have a ton of hops or something like a porter or a stout. But like, <laughs> if you try to cook with like an IPA or you know even just a regular pale ale, something with a lot of those kind of really, really bright, bitter, citrusy, fruity hops, they can do really weird things to your flavor in conjunction with other, other uh, ingredients that you're using. So if you want like a beery kind of slightly yeasty, a little bit malty flavor, just use a, a lager. Um, there's no reason to. <laughs> using like a smoked double IPA is just a recipe for bad most of the time. Not all the time. I mean, I guess there's, there's probably some situations in which it could be good. But typically, that stuff, drink on its own. Wine, though, even if you use like a Chardonnay or whatever, I mean, it's not going to be like bad. It's just not going to be as good, I don't think. So I also just dumped a can of whole tomatoes in, and today I happen to have some San Marzano's kicking around, which is I don't always have, but today I do, and so I'm using them because they are delicious, and there is definitely a difference. They're, they are tastier than the standard canned tomatoes. They are also inexpensive. So I definitely wouldn't use them on an everyday tomato dish, but I will use them for Black Cod couillon because Black Cod's worth it. I wish I could find the kind without basil, but I couldn't, and even though basil is not a traditional flavor in a couillon, this couillon is gonna have some basil in it because <laughs> this, is a, this is an Alaska couillon, not a Louisiana couillon, and uh, that means sometimes you just gotta make do. Now I'm adding a little bit of, a little bit of thyme and I'm gonna kick in a bay leaf. Of course, some cayenne pepper, pretty generous pinch of that. You can also add a fresh chili pepper if you like a little bit of heat when you add your garlic. You don't want this, this isn't a hot dish. Now there is a very, very similar dish called sauce piquant that's made pretty similar to this. There's a few differences. It's typically designed to be accompanied with meat, and it's less liquidy. Like this is very much like a poaching liquid dish. Sauce piquant is a a thick sort of uh, braise as as opposed to this. But sauce piquant is also definitively supposed to be hot. It's actually one of the few Cajun dishes that you can say that about, that like that's the point is like it needs to be hot most of the rest of them tend to have, I mean, they'll, they'll almost always carry a little bit of piquetness, a little bit of heat. They're, they're typically, if you want a bunch of crazy hotness to go along with it, that is usually added at the table. At this point, I'm gonna cook this down for anywhere from a half hour to an hour, just to kind of let the flavors blend a little bit. I'll come back and I'll taste it. Now, if you do happen to have something like, say, a whole rockfish, You can throw that in here and uh, let that break down pretty thoroughly and it'll be delicious at the end of it. But uh, if you're just using fillets, I almost always, well I always, um, I'm just going to poach them right at the end. And they're just—I'm just, just going to poach them till they're done, basically. So we're not going to—we're not going to like stew these down. But if you do have a whole fish, like this is actually a really great dish to use with a with a whole rockfish. You can let this cook for you know 15 or 20 minutes, and then throw the whole rockfish in, and it'll take a little bit longer. You actually, if you're using a whole fish, I find that I like to give it a little extra time for the for the flesh to really sort of come off the bones, and for the bones to start to give up some of their natural um, thickening jelly ooziness. But at this point, all that has to happen here is I need to let this cook for about a half an hour. And then I need to poach my black cod, my fresh black cod in here for about 10 minutes. That's about all it's going to take maybe 15. Um, the nice thing about poaching, you don't have to hit it exactly because it's happening underneath the temperature of boiling. Like once we actually start poaching this, we don't want it to boil at all. We want it to be a bare simmer. And I'm going to plop the plop a few fillets in here to cook and just let them sit for right about 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how thick they are. And then spoon out some cooked rice onto a plate plop my fish down on top of the plate, spoon a bunch of this stuff around it and then cover it with uh, quite a bit of parsley, quite a bit of green onions, and in my case, quite a bit of Louisiana hot sauce. This will be a finished black cod cubion that I promise you is delicious and kind of an unusual way to treat black cod and also a really good way. (laughs) So black cod cubion, I highly, highly recommend it. Although as I always say with Louisiana dishes, do not try this with salmon. The bell peppers and the salmon are gross together. Don't do it. Black cod cubien though, any white fish works for this particular cubillon. You can do you can use rockfish, you can use cod, you can use ling cod, you can use halibut. I like black cod and rockfish for this just because they have something of an a little bit more assertive flavor. Ling cod does too actually. Ling cod's really good in this. They have a little bit more of an assertive flavor. Halibut, I think, gets a little bit lost, but it's it's still there. You know, it'll work. It's not there's nothing wrong with it. But I typically would do something else if I had a halibut. Um, cod's okay in this, but again, typically I'll do something else if I have cod. But if I have link cod, if I have rockfish, or if I have black cod. I am gonna seriously consider making a Coupillon for at least one serving of that. Give it a shot, I love this stuff, and uh, you don't see it on a ton of restaurant menus, so you might not be familiar with it, but you should get familiar with it because it is delicious. All right, we're gonna make a variation of, a variation of, a pretty classic uh south louisiana sausage you may have heard of boudin originally in france there's two versions there's boudin blanc and boudin noir and boudin noir is a blood sausage and boudin blanc is a it means white boudin It's typically made with awful and leftover cuts of pork and stuff like that. And they're both mixed with a binder, which is usually, in France they use different things, but uh, in, when it migrated to Louisiana, because rice is the most common starch down there, rice became the binder. Typically it'll, it'll be large quantities of like pork liver and then some, some other sort of already cooked pork. You typically will cook your aromatics and cook your pork down in a little bit of stock or a little bit of water. And so you get this sort of thick, kind of gelatinous mush at the end of it, basically. I mean, it's a little chunky, but it's, it's not supposed to have much integrity. And then that's mixed with rice, and there's two ways of doing it. There's stuffing it into a sausage casing, and then there's also making boudin balls, which is rolling it up into little balls, breading it, and deep frying it, which is very delicious, and I don't have any collagen casings at the moment, and it's also considerably less messy to do it in the boudin ball way. So that's how we're gonna do it today, and I've started, I've just got some uh, some lard heating up in a pan. I'm gonna add the first part of the Trinity. This is bog standard Cajun cooking. So the boudin is the, specifically pork boudin blanc, is the original. Now there's a variation in South Louisiana, which is crawfish boudin, and it's essentially exactly like boudin except you make it with crawfish. You can make balls with it, or you can do casings either way. Crawfish boudin, extremely popular, extremely delicious. And so one day, in my restaurant days, I was sitting around and had some smoked black cod and I made a lot of sausage, so I always had sausage casings around, and I said, hey, what if I made boudin with this smoked black cod? And I did, and it was awesome. Ever since then, if I have some smoked black cod and I do not just sit there and eat it, because smoked black cod is really delicious on its own, boudin in some form is something I'd like to do with it. So that's what we're doing today, we're going to make a smoked black cod boudin. I'm going to make balls because I don't have casings and even if I did have casings, it's a lot of work to make sausage from the casings and to me it's not worth breaking out the, the stuffer unless you're making at least 5 pounds and preferably 10 or 15 or more of sausage. It's the same amount of work to clean the thing and set it up if you're making 2 pounds as it is if you're making... 200 pounds. It doesn't take that much longer either, relatively speaking. Chopped the rest of my trinity, which is celery. And there's a little twist here because, oops, I forgot to, I meant to go out to the greenhouse and grab a pepper. So I'm going to do that because my peppers are starting to come in. They're a long way from being ripe, but they're starting to come in. These are uh, specifically ahi ricos, which are their Peruvian variety. They do pretty well in Alaska. I'm pretty happy with them. They ripen pretty quickly. They dry really well. They're not super hot on their own. There's a little bit of heat, but they have more of that kind of fruity, like really fruit forward pepper flavor. Uh, I just got to go out to the greenhouse and get two or three of these because I do want this boudin to pack a little bit of heat in the greenhouse. I don't need many, just a couple of the nicer ones. There's one, there's two, and these are still super green. So these are green and I've broken from tradition a little bit and I did this in my original one too and there's kind of a reason for it. I'm not using green bell peppers in my Trinity. So it's, it's like a heretical version of the Trinity you know, that get you cast out from really orthodox places. But I find that in something like this, where we're using, I'm using black cod, and in a traditional, in pork boudin, it it almost always gets uh, green bell peppers as well. The thing is, for this particular application, I kinda want something a little bit lighter. I don't want something super earthy and super heavy. I want a little bit of lightness. And I want a little bit of sweetness, and I want a little bit of zing, especially with this version. That's made with fish, and that's going to be deep fried. There's already going to be quite a bit of savoriness from from the lard that I'm going to use to deep fry this, um, and the black cod itself has is, is really, really a lot of depth of flavor. So I actually kind of want my overall. Flavor of my aromatics to be a little lighter and a little brighter and a little zestier than the uh, than green bell pepper is going to bring you. So I've made the choice. I'm actually using red sweet mini peppers. The little just the little sweet peppers that you can you can find. You can use red bell peppers too. Just any kind of a uh, a sweet pepper is really nice. But I still do kind of want to have a little bit of that vegetal flavor. So by using the green Aji Rico chili peppers, which you can use jalapenos or serranos or whatever, by using those, you do get a little bit of that sort of vegetal sort of earthiness that's very nice. It just, it's much reduced. It's not nearly as, as predominant as it is with green bell peppers. So for this dish in particular, I will sub red peppers, sweet red peppers for green peppers. Incidentally, that means that you can make this boudin with smoked salmon because it does not suffer the drawbacks that smoked salmon does when paired with green bell peppers because that is nasty. Okay, let's add my celery and my red peppers. And I'm gonna go ahead and add my, my ahi ricos, my green peppers as well. Plus, it just looks really pretty in this in this dish. You know, pork, pork boudin is, is always gonna be kind of gray looking slightly and kind of porky, <laughs> kind of heavy looking, and, and it's got a really heavy flavor, but smoked black cod doesn't really have that heaviness. So I, I, I like to point up the, the lightness of it by giving it this nice, these nice red speckles. Plus, you know, just visually in this dish, it's also about to get a ton of parsley and a ton of green onion, which are the two sort of other main flavor components of this thing quite a bit of parsley and chop it. It doesn't have to be super fine. It's just gonna get mixed in with everything else so it doesn't matter how it looks. In fact, the bigger chunks of parsley are interesting. I like bigger chunks of stuff a lot of times and, and stuff like this because then every bite's a little bit different. Every bite tastes a little bit different. I'm gonna chop up two green onions. Again, not super worried what they look like, so I'm just gonna chop them in circles instead of on the bias, because they're just gonna get mixed in too. They're here for flavor, not for appearance. Okay, I got those, oops. Almost forgot, but I didn't, which is good, because it's always a disaster when you forget your garlic. Pinch off a few cloves here. I have previously cooked my rice. You always start this dish with cooked rice, And if I'm cooking rice just for boudin, I will almost always give it a little extra water and let it cook just a little bit longer because it's kind of okay if the rice gets a little mushy. You don't want like perfectly fluffy separated rice. There's my garlic going in. I added a little bit of salt here, but I'm going to be kind of careful with the salt because the smoked black cod is fairly salty. Although it's not crazy salty. I didn't salt it that heavily but the rice also has some salt, so I'm being a little bit careful with it, and then I'll add it at the end if it needs it, because you never quite know how everything's gonna interplay together when you're dealing with ingredients that already have salt. You know, like maybe you forgot and oversalted the rice a little bit. Well, if you add too much salt to everything, then you're kind of up a creek. That is the basics of my aromatics. I'm also gonna add a little fish sauce, and I definitely like fish sauce in this, and quite a bit, actually. It gives it it gives it a really interesting flavor and it actually kind of helps. Pork boudin will have, you know, particularly derived from the liver and stuff, it'll have kind of a funk to it. Woo yeah. That uh, that you gotta you wanna get from somewhere. Fish sauce is a good place to get it from. I'm also gonna add some fairly heavy Tabasco in here, which will bring a little bit more funk and also a little bit more heat. I like a little heat here. And then I'm just gonna add some wine, maybe half a glass or so. Just simmer that down, and that'll just give it a little bit of extra liquid that'll get absorbed by the rice and kind of help everything get unified, because it's a Cajun dish. Add some paprika and a little pinch of cayenne. I'm going to get my black cod ready. It is mostly ready. I've kind of flaked it off and deboned it. There's nothing—I didn't do anything very exciting to this black cod. Um, I never really do. Black cod, It just on its own, is just awesome. I didn't even measure the salt. I just gave it a pretty heavy salting and another not as heavy shot of sugar. Let it sit overnight uncovered in the refrigerator to dry out a little bit. And to form a little bit of a pellicle on the outside, which is that kind of sticky layer, like glazed look almost, that fish will get when you salt it and leave it out for a little while. That's what you really want when you smoke, because the smoke will stick to that really well. And then the next day, I just threw it in my crappy little electric smoker and let it go for three charges of smoke and then another couple of hours and it was done. That's a couple of black cod tails and one of the middle fillets. So I'm going to add some of my cooked rice to this. I like to get the rice and the black cod mixture right first cuz you don't want you don't want to overwhelm the black cod. The black cod needs to be the star of the show. So I just added maybe a cup cup and a half tops of the cooked rice. And I'm just mashing this around a little bit with a fork because I, I don't want the black cod and the rice to be like pulverized and textureless, but I do want to get them pretty fine. I don't want them to be too distinctive. And the black cod, the oil gets kind of absorbed into the rice a little bit, and the flavors really going to permeate the rice now. So we're starting with this really nice sort of base of just black cod, white rice, smoke, salt black cod oil black cod deliciousness and I love black cod now let's add some green onions and some parsley and I'm going to go ahead and add them all because I really don't think that you can have too much of either one of these honestly and now it's a very pretty green flecked stuff I mean honestly like I could sit here and eat a bowl of this and be perfectly happy but on this show we do not stop halfway there we carry on Okay, so that's nicely mixed. Going to add my aromatic mixture, my trinity, my heretical trinity. Onions, celery, sweet red pepper, and some aji rico. Now, oh man. Now is where we really wanna get a little bit aggro, so I'm gonna grab a spatula because I really wanna kind of mash this together. My goal is to have a mixture that will basically hold itself together. So it's possible that I'm gonna have to add a little bit more water. But what I want to do here first, before I even do that, is just get everything mashed together. And I want to let it sit for just a little bit to make sure, you know, to let it, let the, the rice kind of hydrate a little bit more and let all the juices sort of mingle and make sure that it's not going to be too wet because it will kind of stick together as you're doing this. The important thing is that you want it to at least have a little bit of integrity. You want it to hold together just a little bit Enough, at least, to hold shape when you make a ball out of it. And as you work it, the little bit of extra moisture from the aromatics and from the wine gets worked into the, the mixture a little bit, and it starts to stick together. But plus, the, the rice starts to sort of break apart, and the starch will start to swell up a little bit more and absorb absorb some more of this water. So I'm picking up a handful. and kind of squeezing it together. And it's still, there's not a ton of integrity here. But add a little bit more white wine, and then I'm going to let it sit for just a little bit. I'm going to let it cool down some, too. The aromatics were still pretty hot, so the, the whole mixture is a little bit warm. And as it cools, it'll set up some. The starches will kind of re-gelatinize. Yeah, even that, that additional bit, little bit of uh, moisture helped quite a bit. So I think once we once we chill a little more, we'll, we'll get a little better response it's still and then if not uh, i'll just keep splashing in a little bit of wine or a little bit of water until i feel like we're there it's just a matter of getting the hydration right the ideal rice to use with this too is medium grain which is really common in south Louisiana. it will hold together a little bit better than than the long grain that's what i've got today is long grain and long grain works so i'm just gonna let that sit i'm gonna let that cool down a little we can start forming the balls. It's a little bit later, my boudin balls have had time to cool a little bit. They have a little more integrity than they originally did. They're a little more delicate than I would like. So here's what I'm gonna do, because never forget when you're cooking without a net, you're always solving problems frequently as they arise. So what I'm gonna do is first, I'm gonna make them real small, which they shouldn't be very big anyway. They're about the size of a golf ball. With pork, you can usually go a little, a little bigger because pork liver is a super good binder. Um, even cooked pork liver is a really good binder. So that's something that these also don't have is any kind of a binder outside of the starch in the rice. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep these pretty small golf ball size, squeeze them together pretty well. Then I'm going to put them in the refrigerator and I'm going to chill them down. And that's kind of an important step anyway you know you'll do that with fish cakes you'll do it with just about anything like this as they cool some of the moisture will kind of evaporate and it'll let the remaining stuff will stick together a little tighter so chilling is one of the steps we're going to take here i will say this is the first time i've made uh, boudin balls with black hot. when i made it before i made it with i made it in casings you know if i wanted to be super lazy i could just add an egg <laughs> But that would introduce weird, eggy flavors, and it would also introduce a texture that I do not want, because the kind of the pleasure of a boudin ball is that you bite into this seemingly solid surface on the outside, and then you kind of get this very soft and very light and very falling apart mixture on the inside. So what's going to happen is I'm going to chill these down, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to see how they're doing. It's very possible that just the chilling action of being in the refrigerator, is all it needs. If, however, that doesn't work, and there are there are fish cake recipes that I have made that specifically call for this step because the, the mixture that they're using is pretty delicate and it doesn't necessarily want to stay together even when it's pretty well chilled, if I come back in a few hours and I poke at them and they're falling apart a little too much still and they're still a little too delicate and I don't think I can bread them, then what I'll do is I'll stick them in the freezer and it doesn't take long, maybe like 20 or 30 minutes, just enough to kind of harden the outside and just start the process of freezing. As long as they hold together well enough to bread, they'll hold enough well enough to fry. Because once you start frying them, then the coating on the outside will will keep them together because it'll make a crust pretty quick. This whole endeavor, always, always about solving problems. You know, I think actually that's one of the things that people forget, you know, when there's, when you're, when you're looking at a finished recipe or a finished dish, somebody's already made it so many times in theory, (laughs) somebody's already made it so many times that they've kind of shaken out all the, all the, the wrinkles, you know, and so you get a finished product, but you also, you know, there's assumptions that can be made when you're writing a recipe, things like expecting that ingredients will always be the same from place to place, or that certain techniques are, easily transferable, or that you know high heat means the same thing to everything. So even when you're following recipes, you're sort of constantly having to adjust. So it's, a real, it's always just a good idea to sort of basically expect something to go not the way you thought of it, even though you made, like I've made this particular dish plenty of times before, but I've never done the specific ball version. So I never really had to worry about the integrity of it uh, that much, because I was just stuffing it into casings. And then it chills down again, and then it poaches, and then you cut open the casing, and you just eat it however. So this is just a new thing. And it's something you just got to figure out. And in this case, I'm going, Okay, well, I've made fish cakes that barely held together before. And the way you deal with that is you chill them down thoroughly, see how they are, stick them in the freezer. And this is essentially a fish cake. So that's what we're going to do here. The black cod boudin is going in the fridge. And I'll be back when it's time to fry. Pot of lard happening. We're on the last step here of this this black cod journey, and it all just involves deep frying my gnocchi frito and my boudin balls. And then we can do the fun part, which is eating it. Cut my gnocchi frito dough. I just pat that down a little, and I'm cutting it into six roughly even lumps. (laughs) Doesn't matter what the shape is here because These things are designed to be very homely and very low-key looking and very delicious. And it's just gonna be a big pile of fried, tasty, awesome dough. So I'm rolling them out. I want them to be pretty thin. We don't want these to be super thick because what's gonna happen is they're gonna puff up once they hit the fat. Just going to grab my handy pastry cutter, my pastry wheel. Go around the borders because I do want Something resembling uh, a rectangle here and we'll just cut them about an inch across and I'll just stack these up on a little plate while I'm waiting on my fat to heat up a little dusting of flour just to keep them from sticking to each other they just a fa- few faint wisps of smoke coming off my oil which I can't find my thermometer which is around and was around earlier but it seems to have been moved but that's okay because I can tell that this oil is ready to accept some gnocco frito. Dropping them in, they're immediately starting to puff a little bit, which is a good sign. They don't take long to cook. Basically, we only need to really cook them. Just until they turn kind of a light golden brown. One thing you do have to do with uh, things like this, they're kind of oblong, is you gotta occasionally turn them over in the oil to get them to brown evenly. It's not that big a deal, it doesn't take that long. Yeah, these guys have a nice, light, sandy brown, which is perfect for my purposes. So I'm just gonna flop them onto a paper towel here real quick for them to drain. And looks like the fat's ready to go for another round. So I'll drop those in small batches Drop those guys in and plop the finished ones into a bowl next to our delicious black cod farmer's cheese dip. And you've got a pretty awesome afternoon snack. Okay, there's a bunch more coming, but this is just the very first batch of gnocchi frito. And then here's Jeff. Yeah, yeah. There's (laughs) lots more. You will be very happy to know that my boudin balls did not actually require a stint in the freezer. They spent a little time in the fridge and they maintained their integrity while I breaded them and everything. But again, it would be perfectly acceptable for you to stick them in the freezer for just a couple minutes. Now, the trick with these is we want to, we don't want to move them around too much before we start to brown them on the outside because again they are a little they're, they're a little bit delicate. We don't want to hit them too hard. just want to kind of ease them apart from each other, make sure that they're all individually frying. They don't take long either. Pretty much by the time the outside is a nice brown color, they will be done and I'm just going to do these in real small batches because uh, they are you know delicate enough that you got to be a little bit careful with them. So I don't want too much risk of banging them around. Oh, they look good. They smell good. Flip them over make sure they're browning completely. These two are done. The other guy needs a little bit more time. Pull those out and drain. Add a couple more in. Roll them in. Roll them in. Roll them down the sides of the wok. One of the reasons I like the wok is when, you, when your oil gets super hot, you can kind of roll stuff into it. Turn that down a little bit, actually. We are... Getting crazy hot with this wok. Minimal handling, gently rolling around. Oh man, these things are beautiful. I can't wait to eat this. They're really, they're really something. They're really nice to look at. And with these, I'm gonna whack together a really quick romalad type dip with a little bit of mayonnaise, a fair amount of mustard, a little tiny bit of ketchup, some hot sauce, some fish sauce, and. If I have a pickle in there, I'll probably put that in and I'll chop up a little celery and add that too. It's kind of a thrown together remoulade, but that's basically what's involved. So I feel pretty comfortable that I'll be able to hold my head up and say, you know, as remoulades go, it's kind of whacked together somewhere. I do have a proper recipe. And so one of these days we'll make a real one that would actually pass muster in New Orleans. But today, this is just an afternoon snack. It's okay if it's a little bit funky. That's just all right with me. Dump a little garlic powder in, because that's tasty. a Couple different kinds of heat. A Little cayenne, just a little, just a little pinch. Little Tabasco. I'm gonna do Worcestershire sauce in here. Lovely. You know I got some capers. Capers are a traditional ingredient in the original ramelade. So let's put those in. Last batch about to go in which is good because I'm really hungry. I've worked up an appetite today and I'm gonna go have some gnocca frito with smoked black cod and garlic scapes and farmer's cheese dip and some boudin balls. Black cod, smoked black cod, boudin balls. That'll be a nice end to the day. <laughs> I definitely need something like that to happen right now. Oh, and don't forget the delicious black cod cubillon, which I think should be one of the great dishes of the world because I love it that much. Check the pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Katori Ebain. This is the 6th episode of the Summer 2021 season of Check the Pantry. Support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235 6183. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer Market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. ¶¶ Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI Public Radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.
1: ¶¶